0: It was the best of times, it was the worst of times, Dickens said. That could be Dallas, Texas in this very time. In Dallas, we have tremendous wealth and tremendous poverty at the same time. And race has a big factor in how that plays out. How do we begin to close those gaps? Byron Sanders of Big Thought will be with us and he'll be helping share his insights into that on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God Conversations that Matter About Faith and Public Life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program Byron Sanders. Byron, welcome. Thank you so much, George. Yes. Really happy to be here. He is the president and CEO of Big Thought, which is uh, an educational, uh, entrepreneurial institution, uh, enterprise that that helps Mm -hmm. uh, create imagination for kids about their future and helps that, to give them creative problem-solving tools so, so that they can think about uh, where, where their lives go from here. That's Thank good. you for the work you do.
1: Hey, man, what a, what a
0: pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're, you're welcome. So, uh, Byron, we've, we've gotten to know each other a little bit, and, and one of the things that a Big Thought tries to address is the opportunity gap, yep. the value gap that exists in this uh, in, in this city that uh, uh, my colleague and friend Freddie Haynes likes to call a tale of two cities. That's right. <clears throat> uh, just as in the Charles Dickens uh, book, uh, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Uh, th- this is also the case in Dallas. Absolutely. We have a, a, a city with enormous wealth and, and, and equally enormous poverty. Yeah, uh, where the education gap is wide, and, and uh, when the Urban Institute did a study just a few years ago uh, of the 274 major cities in America, yeah. they looked <clears throat> at the re- economic recovery, and what they found was that Dallas ranked 274 not in terms of economic recovery generally, mm. but in terms of the participation rate, the 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 equity inclusion yeah. of people of color, yeah. uh, and at, at, and across educational lines as well. But this is this is a city of tremendous racial disparity, and if you talk to most white people in North Dallas, they would have no idea what we're just talking about right
1: now. That's true. Um, you ask a lot of the same, um, you know. White people in North Dallas, many of whom are, are dear friends of mine, hmm. uh, how often they've driven south of thirty, right, or you know, or the Trinity, and you get to know why they would have no idea, exactly. to Despair, but you know, Southern Dallas is large enough geographically to fit the entire city of Atlanta in. Right, there are thousands of people who hmm. live in Southern Dallas. I was one of them growing up, right. and you know, uh, hope to soon be one again. Uh, yeah. we've got to. Got a move planning okay, uh, good. planned in, in the upcoming years, So, um, but you know, one of the things that we have to get very honest with is that, you know, it's not a, we didn't get here by accident. <coughs> um, and it might not necessarily be the responsibility or, or the decisions that have been made by the people who are currently residing, right? Or, or even currently alive. Currently alive, exactly. Uh, and you know, Michael Sorrell, Dr. Sorrell, president of Paul Quinn, right. a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. a, a mentor, you know, he said, you know what, let's just say that we today are not responsible for our present state. All of those decisions that were made years ago that have absolutely led us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel ashamed about that. We just have to kind of acknowledge what it is. However, 30 years from now, Right. Whatever Dallas we have then, Mm -hmm. that's on you. That's on you.
0: That's exactly right. It is on you. It's on us. And so if
1: we're going to actually be honest about, if we're going to get to where we need to be 30 years from now, where there is equitable participation in the the growth of our city and the economic boom uh, in the Texas miracle uh, here in Dallas, then we're gonna to have to be very honest about some, some tough conversations and not just conversations, but choices and actions that we're gonna to need to take.
0: Because we've made choices <clears throat> that have led us to this place. Absolutely. And whether you want to say that they were motivated by racial uh, bias mm-hmm. and animus, mm-hmm. or simply by being, privileged people who failed to recognize the consequences of the decisions they were making. Nonetheless, the effect has been to drive uh, racial divides in in this city. And for people who are scratching their heads right now, I think we can just say that there are several things that we can point to. For example, uh, I mean, redlining uh, in neighborhoods Mm -hmm. created the the possibility for uh, people who are white and middle class to grow uh, by being able to get home loans Mm -hmm. and to build equity in their homes and to have generational wealth created and that was denied to people of color who were in neighborhoods that were redlined off from from banking and and from home loans. When we decided where the roads would go, the highway system, divided neighborhoods and and created uh, broke access of neighborhoods of color, from uh, public services and, yeah. and those sorts of things, uh, when the schools uh, desegregated, mm-hmm. uh, white flight led people out of out of the city and and into uh, suburban schools, leaving what is today still 95 percent non-white Dallas uh, Independent School District, yeah. uh, which you know it, it is not wicked on its face. It's it's simply means that we have taken out uh, a historic legacy of education and success mm-hmm. from, uh, the, from these schools and, and then said, perform anyway. Right. Uh, and so we, we have one thing after another we could go on and on about yeah. this that, that has happened to get us to this point. That's right, right? that's right. Uh, but having an honest conversation about that and recognizing that that is so is the first step. Uh, to being able to to do something about it, yeah. and what needs to be done, where do we contribute to the,
1: <coughs> the future? Well, the first thing that I think we have to do is actually put real numbers to the disparity, right. uh, because I, I think sometimes it's conceptual, mm-hmm. and and people don't understand how large the gap is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that people also feel that, that as though things are getting better. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the 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 beauty of the um, I guess the triumph of the 1950s and 60s civil rights movement here in uh, America was that you know we were able to knock down these really glaring. Mm-hmm. Um, um, infractions against justice. <laughs>
0: right, right, right.
1: right. Uh, you know, if there's right. a whites only sign, that's bad. That right. should come down, right? right? Or right. you're telling me I can't eat here, that's bad. Right, that should, I gotta go to a colored school, that's Exactly, bad. yeah, okay. Okay, so yeah, I can sit where I want on a bus now. I can right. walk into any building, theoretically, right? You know. Right. Um, what do you people want? What else can we do for you? We took away all the all the boundaries, now it's yeah. everything's equal, so exactly. come on. Let's exactly, exactly. Well, the, the reality, though, is because we didn't address structural issues, right. because we didn't address access right. as opposed to just allowance right. into police, good, good. because we didn't address being included and actively welcomed in, right. um, then we have what we have. And in Dallas, these are the statistics mm-hmm. in Dallas: nineteen eighty. In nineteen eighty, the average income for a black household was a about $40,000. Mm-hmm. $40,000. In 2016, you want to know what that is? And this is not an infl- this is not an inflation adjusted number. Actual number. Actual number in 2016, it's just over $30,000. So it's declined by $10,000 during
0: actual- a period of time that I would guess typical white household. Correct. Come on. Yes. What is it?
1: Do we the, so the, the white household is about seventy thousand
0: okay. dollars median income. All right. So <clears throat> the increase has been significant in the white community and in the back and I know that in Dallas, for example, a black man earns fifty four cents mm-hmm. on the dollar to a white man in, in terms of income. Correct. Now how
1: how can that be a just system? Exactly. And why do you see the exact same thing that happens with our Latino community. Right. And the Latino community mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, was about, actually about 40000 and they've seen about a $10,000 de- incre- decrease in income mm-hmm. uh, per household as well over that same period of time. Right. While we've seen a tremendous growth in the population yes. of Latino um, right. uh, neighbors here in right. city of Dallas, right? right. So, um, you look at that, and then you even look at, if you, even if you were looking at total net worth, like the total balance sheet, right? This is one that punched me. This is the stat that punched me in the gut. One hundred and it's well over one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. I think the number is actually closer to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars total net worth for the uh, median white household. Right. Right. Exactly. For the Hispanic uh, household median,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's a little over five thousand dollars. Right. And for the black household, it's a little over thirty-five hundred dollars. Right.
0: we're talking about net worth now net worth
1: we're talking we're talking about all assets everything everything (laughs) exactly right and we're talking about five thousand and thirty five hundred dollars compared to 130 150. now why does that matter well it should be self-evident right but if we're talking about being able to climb out of poverty Mm -hmm. we're talking about being able to let's not talk about just one generation, let's talk about the next generation. 20% of wealth is determined by inheritance, right? right. And If you only have $5,000 to your name, mm-hmm. um, what are you passing on? Right. Typically not a lot. Mm-hmm. So you bring all of those statistics to the forefront, you show right. them for what they are, and then we start talking about solutions that you can bring to the table. And the right. solutions that we can bring to the table is a a wide range of different things. Right. Um, I'm in the education space, Mm -hmm. and I will acknowledge that there are things that we have to do to make, yes, race conscious and income conscious decisions on how we're going to apply resources. Yes. Dallas ISD has actually taken a really big step here recently. They created an Office of Racial Equity. Right. Racial equity, the whole thought that um, you are being aware of and making decisions, policy, budget, based on the reality of where we are with racial equitable, um, 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 equitably uh, distributed access to true opportunity, right? right? So if there's uh, schools in Southern Dallas that don't have enough resources, right. put the resources there in right. order to not just say, okay, now it's all equal, but to account for the deficit that we're having to make up
0: precisely and that that <clears throat> is actually part of the strategy of DISD now for yeah. the best teachers mm-hmm. in the most challenging places to pay them more that's right. and 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 principals as well and 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 to improve the facilities the spirit of the school and yeah. all those sorts of things and we're seeing the change that takes place and outcomes as a result of that i mean it's not that m- much of a mystery that's right uh, it's just that we have we've lacked the political will and we've lacked the willingness to pay for it yeah and that's beginning to shift yes. as, as we're starting to see. We just passed uh, the TRE, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to cost us all a little more
1: mm-hmm. uh, in our school taxes. And we've decided finally that we think it's worth it. It, is a, it. That was one of the best things that happened this year, in my opinion, right. uh, to take a, uh, a Dallas-based swipe at inequity in our city, because they're going explicitly toward things that are not some pie in the sky, but things that we actually know work, like early childhood education. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most powerful amplifiers you could uh, do in an education system in order to close the gap. Um, In things like uh, also uh, funding TEI, which is the uh, uh, system whereby we uh, evaluate, but also help continuously improve Educators in our city, but also to the to your point identify who the best are so that we can put them in the most Challenging well, and uh, we need schools. to recruit
0: them as well. Exactly. And, and that means we need the bottom pay raised uh, Much more absolutely. All right, so we, we need to pick this up after the break uh, but w- We're now on to solutions and I mm-hmm. think this is an exciting time for Dallas to be able to to realize I think, Byron, we are starting to wake up to some of these things in a way that we haven't in the time that I've been here. This is a a hopeful time, but it's also uh, an anxious time as a result of that. And I uh, I think we're up to it, but let's talk about some of those things after the break. Perfect. All right.
2: Big Thought is a nonprofit organization that works with partners across the city to provide creative learning programs that enrich the lives of young people with a mission to close the opportunity gap for youth by making imagination a part of everyday learning. Through educational programs and system-wide community partnerships, Big Thought provides access to high-quality learning experiences that power creativity and foster social and emotional well-being. We're back with Byron
0: Sanders and we were talking about race in Dallas. And Byron, in the time that I've been in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that I'm more hopeful right now about the partnership between um, people in uh, communities of color and uh, the white community about um, uh, seeking solutions together. Mm. Uh, it, historically, it seems in Dallas uh, white people know what the solutions are supposed to be for everybody else, but. Mm-hmm. We I feel like we are listening and learning better than we have in the past. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I find that actually this is beginning to happen among religious leaders and church leaders. Yeah. So your pastor, Brian Carter, a uh, good friend of mine as well, a valued colleague, and a uh, number of pastors, Michael Waters and, and Freddie Haynes and yes, Vincent Parker and, uh, and people in, in South Dallas that are uh, people of I- immense uh, ability and insight and, and have tremendous uh, influence and understand the circumstances on the ground. Yeah. They they are a new breed of a religious leader for this city that is really important. Yeah. Uh, not one that depends upon North Dallas and, and upon uh, white largesse in order to succeed. I mm-hmm. mean, just being honest about the history of Dallas and the, the accommodation and all those sorts of things that we know about. Mm-hmm. But I also think that that's, that's a challenge for us to learn uh, that w- those of us who have uh, positions of influence in, in North Dallas, whether it's in the faith community or other areas, we, we are used to wanting to um, figure out quick fixes to things, and yeah. to, you know. But we're, we're learning that there are larger systemic issues that we have to pay attention to. Race is one of those, but uh, you have to be, you said earlier, you have to become more race conscious. Yeah. Uh, which is a very hard thing for white people to get, because yeah. we 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 love Martin Luther King Jr.'s line about yeah. uh, you know uh, being being a colorblind society. Right, right. It's not the but but it's it's color of your it, skin, but it's content of your character. Content of your character. We love that, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, before we can be a colorblind society, mm-hmm. we've got to be color conscious until we get to a place of equity. It seems to me. And, you know, and, then and, and I would
1: suggest it. that we never want to be a colorblind society. Yeah, um, I love Lucy. To me, was so much cooler in Technicolor. Yeah, right. Um, and and you right. know, if we can, the the goal, the aspiration, is not to not to say, hey, guys, we're all the same. The right. aspiration to me is to say, look at how different we are and see the beauty in that. Nice, nice, Um, yeah. And what it takes in order to do that is actually a little more challenging, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the the thing that I think we have to be really clear about is that all of us were born into a society that was largely based on a racial hierarchy Mm -hmm. that was set years and years ago for economic and power-based reasons, Mm -hmm. but that we are the inheritors um, uh, of, right? We are the heirs of that uh, structure. And it's affected us, it's dehumanized us in ways that we haven't yet even acknowledged. That we, if not really troubling the waters, you'll never even see it acknowledged. Even for those of us who say, I am a person who's relatively Mm well-adjusted. I've got friends who are black and Hispanic. I um, love my Indian um, um, neighbors. You know, people who have genuine relationships with people of color. I'm not even talking about folks who are just abject racist. That's the easy one. But people who have not been able to even question what our systems and structures have yielded for people of color and why they're able to do that in a city that is technically blue, right? right? right. With it's uh, um, uh, political, political uh, you know, voting um, record, yeah. Map. Well, the reason why is the same thing that I use when I, when I try and talk to my white friends about uh, being aware of their privilege mm. and being aware of bias. Mm. I talk about the journey that I've been on as a man and being aware of women's um, mm-hmm. uh, equity issues right, and how it wasn't even until recent yeah that i didn't that I noticed
0: this is intersectionality
1: the intersectionality of I yeah. didn't notice right how i um myself yes would overtalk mm-hmm. in a board meeting right how i myself would hear what was being said, a woman might you know, bring an idea forward, we'd talk and talk and talk, and then you know, some guy, sometimes me, I'd say basically the same thing that she said and suddenly it was three conversations idea. ago, and everybody's like, yeah, let's nod our head to that, that's a great idea, move forward, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that <clears throat> when I leave the house every day, mm-hmm. I don't give two thoughts, about how I need to actually make it home safe. Yeah. I don't think about that stuff at all, right. Right? right? But women, on the other hand, are taught how to carry their keys. Right. They're taught you know, uh, to, to look around. They're taught to have a very specific, even stepwise process to getting in the car at a gas station Maybe. so that they can just be safe. It's exhausting. It's exhausting, and it's very similar for white people to not have to think about Yes, being in spaces. Right. White privilege is not having to learn about somebody else's perspective in order to have access to the things in life right. that one would want to. Right. I was talking with a good friend of mine here recently when he was saying, you know, when I go to a black community, you know, I stand out too. You know, I feel uncomfortable. I, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's tough, um, you know, for all of us to be in a place where we are otherized. I was like, you know what, that's actually a really good point. You probably feel uncomfortable when you're going down to South Dallas or Oak Cliff or, or Pleasant Grove. And usually when you're going though, there's a choice. You're going for service. You're going because you're going to, to this event or this program for a nonprofit that you're working in. For me, I had to learn about white people. Right. I had to learn to be comfortable and not just comfortable, but proficient in white spaces. Right. Right. Because if I wanted the job that I wanted, right. If I wanted, you know, the car there. If I wanted to, my kids to have access to the best schools, mm-hmm. then it's not a, it's not an option for right. me not to know that. Exactly. And it can actually be detrimental to my very physical well being mm-hmm. if I don't. Right. Right. So,
0: I think one of the things that has to happen, though, for white people mm-hmm. is we have to recognize that perpetuating this system of privilege is yeah. not good for us either. That's right. Uh, it, it feels good to us to be in a position of privilege. It is also dehumanizing to us to be in that role. Without a doubt. Because, because we, we have put ourselves in a place God has not put us. Mm. We, we, have, we have usurped the order of creation and, and we have been <clears throat> pretended to be what we are not, mm-hmm. and in, every time you do that, it is harmful to your spiritual health and it is it is it, 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 it makes you subject to judgment as well that's and absolutely right so
1: race racism, whether intentional or unintentional, is a hierarchy of human value absolutely and that is unbiblical right, right? I mean they're,
0: they're, we have tried to figure out how to base Racial hierarchies on the Bible, and it is it, it has been one of the most ridiculous exercises mm. in nonsense mm-hmm. in the history of, of of human beings that it's not it's not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only read things into it in order to justify our privileges. Yes, sir. and it's uh, it's one of the great breakthroughs of um, of more recent years that we've begun to read the Bible more uh, from the underside. Uh, more from the margins, which is actually where it was written from. That's right. Which, you know, we we, we think this is a novel interpretive approach to things. (laughs) It's actually the way it was written. The children of Israel were slaves for goodness sake. That's right. You know, and and the whole history of this is is God trying to get the attention of of humankind Mm. to say, I made you all from the same place and the same people. Yeah. and that uh, and that you are supposed to care for your neighbor and look at the person next to you and see the image my own image in that other person yeah. and if if we will learn to do that with one another and stop trying to use our religion to justify our prejudice yes, right. and instead use it to undermine prejudice and and bring about equity now we've got we've got a supercharge mm. of, of social change
1: that we can begin to to see happen You're right you have a supernatural mandate yeah. in order to uh to to give you the freedom mm-hmm. to be creative well, exactly. To be thoughtful, to be um, ingenious about the ways that we break down these structures. Right. And you know, there's a ton of stuff that works. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that work. We can start. Lots of and, and matter of fact, we have started, right? But but we can have the will to push even further. Mm-hmm. Very simple solutions that most people can look at and and say, okay, that's not right. The start with the criminal justice system, right? <laughs> The reality that one in three black baby boys born today will be incarcerated. Right, right. Think about that from a justice standpoint, not just for the incarceration and the tremendous economic waste that goes into all of that. It's $150,000 to incarcerate Mm -hmm. a youth in the state of Texas one year. $150,000. Wow. Um, But think about what happens because when those guys are out, Usually we're talking about men, but there's a you know, growing population of uh, uh, women of color as well. Right. But when those folks are back into the community, mm-hmm. they can't vote. Right. Right? Right. Think about if one third of a demographic... In Florida now, maybe. Well, in we Florida...
0: Just, how about that? Exactly. In Florida!
1: Because yes. that, because this is a thing. It doesn't take rocket science. Right. It right. just takes a political will. And even the Koch brothers... Uh, are for
0: criminal justice right. reform, and, and <laughs> President Trump today was on record about that just mm-hmm. this very day. Yeah. We are seeing some signs of progress in that regard, but yeah. it, it's, it, it's got to be that, that you know, we, are, we have used the criminal justice system mm-hmm. to continue to break down the families. And social structures of people of color, Absolutely. and then blame them for being broken down. Exactly. Then,
1: and then, oh, okay. and then people are like, why can't you get it right?
0: Right. Um, Whereas we all know, yeah. in, in the white community, we, we all know intuitively that you know we you know we we might get caught with some marijuana or something mm-hmm. like that, but because of who we are, we get off. That the, the black kid in South Dallas doesn't get off. Right. Uh, and and once he's in the system, uh, that magnifies and grows and, yeah. and, and, and it goes, you're either going to go one way or the other, but you know, we, we all like to believe in second chances, but yeah. only some of us get them. That's true. And so if, if we <coughs> believe in redemption, if we believe as people of faith, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that that's our mandate, yeah. that if, if that's what God did for us, yeah. then
1: we're supposed to do that for one another, then let's get busy. George, and building on that point, what if you don't even have to do anything wrong?
0: right
1: uh yeah yeah <laughs> i yeah i I have my own personal experience with this very right. recently, did you, so I was out with my daughter mm-hmm. uh canvassing right, um for you know my my the, the political candidate that I was backing um mm-hmm. in just this last race, and I wanted to expose my kids to the, the participation in democracy, showing right. that it doesn't just happen overnight, but it takes us work, collective participation right. and equity within this system in order for it to really um, uh, abound. Um, and I was walking in my neighborhood and got to one house. At this time, my son, we had to run him back because he had to use the restroom. So he stayed at home, so it was me and my daughter. <clears throat> two reasons why I wanted my kids with me. One, I wanted them to have that educational experience, but the second was because I'm a black guy walking around a mostly white neighborhood. I was in Addison at the time, uh, suburb you know, just mm-hmm. north of here. Um, and I knew that there are things that I have to do to make myself non-threatening. Oh my goodness. Yep. And me having my kids with me, and I had a process, the kids go ring the doorbell, I stand back three, four mm-hmm. feet away, mm-hmm. allow the, you know, the person comes to the door, the kids say hi first, we're all wearing our stuff, so it's very clear why we're here, and then I talk, and then we engage, right? right? So I was, I was I was taking those steps. <clears throat> we had a interaction with a lady who did not like us being at her house, they had a no solicitation sign, canvassing's actually not soliciting, right, so, right you know, we weren't breaking any rules or anything like that. She yelled at us. My daughter and I, we walked away. We said, have a nice day, you know. uh, And we knew not everybody's gonna be great to you, but the the vast majority of people had been up until then point, moved on two houses later. We're walking uh, to continue our work, and then we see a uh, police officer pull up. And um, police officer gets out, he walks up and he says, hey, um, got a call that there were some um, uh, suspicious people who were doing some illegal uh, soliciting oh in my the uh, in the community, and I said, "Hey, we're not soliciting. We're we're out working with a political campaign." He said, "Do you have a permit?" I was like, uh, "No." Permit? I, I don't. Okay, right. So I, I was like, "No, I don't have a permit. City ordinance. You gotta have a permit to uh, to do this. So you have to stop." And I, I you know I didn't have any information to challenge that right then uh, and I'm with my daughter I look at her face and you know she's crestfallen <clears throat> police officer walks away and my daughter and I were about to start walking back to the car I stop and make a real quick video saying hey um, we were told that we just had to stop you know we're pretty sure who called the police on us um, but we're gonna go find another neighborhood I'm trying to cheer her up you know and to her credit, my daughter, she was, uh, she, she was plucky and she was excited to go to the next place. But as we kept walking, I was like, you know what, let's just sit down and check it out for ourselves. We looked up the ordinance, and turns out you don't need a permit. Turns out political canvassing does not fall in the uh, solicitation laws. Right, but the police should know that. They absolutely should know that. Yeah, right. Well, the interesting thing was, do I begrudge the police? He didn't know his, his stuff, okay. You know, he's got to come and check it out when somebody calls right, in. Right. The question is, why were the police called? Right. Exactly. Right. Right. And <clears throat> um, did my race have something to do with it? I don't know, but I can tell you, there's a whole set of experiences where I've had the police called on me, right. or I've been tailed for doing things that mm-hmm. a normal person should be able to do in this country.
0: Driving while black, walking while black, working while black. I mean, these are the things that. White people really do not have any personal experience with yeah. that. It's not when you're doing something wrong necessarily. It's just that you you, you are who you are in spaces that feel somewhat threatening uh, right. to, to people who are white. We could go on. I can't believe I can't believe we're out of time. Oh my God! Uh, this we, <laughs> it feels like we're just getting started. Byron, it is a pleasure to be in the city of Dallas with you and to know what you're up to and <clears throat> to be in good league with you as well. Uh, Let's keep working together for the common good. George, I'm looking forward to it, brother. Bless you, brother. Thank you, Okay.
2: Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Big Thought is a non-profit organization that works with partners across the city to provide creative learning programs that enrich the lives of young people with a mission to close the opportunity gap for youth by making imagination a part of everyday learning. Through educational programs and system-wide community partnerships, Big Thought provides access to high-quality learning experiences that power creativity and foster social and emotional well-being.